Father, I thank you for this time that we have this morning to spend time in your word. God, what a gift it is personally for me, Lord, to be standing here today in front of your people, Lord, here at Grace Hill. And Father, I thank you for the encouragement it is to see tangible evidence of your hand at work and sustaining your bride here. And so, Father, as we spend time in your word this morning, I do pray, God, that you would encourage us. God, I pray that you would challenge us. Lord, I pray that our affections, God, that they would be stirred for you, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that you would help me to be articulate and clear with your word this morning. God, I need your help for that. I am incapable, apart from your help, to do anything good and to articulate your word in any level that is um, helpful, Father, without you. So, God, help me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I want to do, if you're new, I don't know if anybody here is new. I'm new. So, um, <laughs> so I want to just recap where you guys have been over the past several weeks. You've been in a series called Jesus and the Outsider. And so just real quick, if you haven't been with us, I haven't been with you guys. So it was good for me to spend time listening to the sermons. Uh, you, the first week, Alan shared with you guys, and he said, hey, look, we, we get to see a picture of the resurrected Jesus appearing to his disciples. And what does Jesus do? He gives the disciples a mission, a very clear mission. And he says to what? To proclaim the gospel, the good news of forgiveness and repentance to all nations. And so Jesus gives you and me as Grace Hill, as a local body at Reston Bible Church, whatever local church that's gathering in his name has the same mission, and it's for the outsider. And so the second week, Alan posed a question, and he said, do our religious practices, do they help or do they get in the way of that mission that Jesus has given you and me? And then last week, what you saw is that the gospel, the good news of the gospel can't go out. We can't proclaim the good news of the, the gospel if we ourselves have not been fundamentally changed and moved by the gospel. That, that we know that our pain and shame has been covered, has been forgiven. And it's not just been forgiven and covered, but that it's been replaced with joy, hope, and purpose. And so that's where you've been over the past three weeks. And so this week, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. And if you don't have your Bible, we'll have the text on the screen behind me. And so you'll be able to follow along there. And so my hope this week, as we spend a few moments together in God's word, is that we would get an example of what it looks like for you and me today, that when God removes the pain and shame that sin produces in our lives, and that he replaces it with mercy, grace, love, faith, and purpose. My hope that I would see that we would be encouraged by someone's example about pursuing the mission that Jesus has given us and has given that person as well. I think that God has given us an incredible privilege to share the good news of the gospel with those who don't know it. That is an incredible privilege. And it's also an incredible responsibility that we get to share the gospel to outsiders. So as we get ready to dive in this morning, I wanted to ask just kind of a, a couple questions. Because I, I think there's something that all of us do, regardless of whether you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus today or not. I think we do this. I think, I think what we want to do is when we're listening to something or we're, we're, we're reading something, we, we all want to consider the source from which we're hearing from, Right? 
I think we all do this. Maybe you're at work. I know when I used to work in the marketplace, there will always be these things, you know, whether it be getting coffee or wherever you're going. And they'd, this would go, hey, did you read about this in the news today? Did you see that? And then someone might go, hey, did you hear about what so-and-so said about our pay getting cut the next week? And, and what do we kind of do immediately with that? What we're trying to do is go, hey, wait, where, where did you read that from? What news article did you get that from? Or, hey, who, who, who told you that bit of information about our job and our, our pay potentially getting cut? You, you want to know, is, is that source trustworthy and reliable, right? And see, we want to quickly do that with anything that we hear that certainly has any significance. We want to gauge its truthfulness and its reliability. My son, the other day, um, he was... Uh, he was we were talking, and he, he, he asked the question. He said, Daddy, why is your belly so big? <laughs> so clearly, I'm considering the source here, because, I mean, come on. Um, and so I, I indulged him a little bit, because clearly that's not true. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys. Feel encouraged. And I said, well, buddy, daddy doesn't work out as much as he used to, and he doesn't eat as healthy a food as he should. And, and so he quickly replied, well, daddy, you really should. <laughs> well, that's an example of an untrustworthy, an unreliable source. So <laughs> here's my point. We do want to know that the source we're getting our information from is trustworthy, that that source has experience in what they're talking about. And so this morning as we get ready to read our text, I want to ask a couple questions about the source of the claims we're going to hear from today. And so I want you to answer them honestly, really answer them honestly. You don't have to answer out loud, but just in your head as you hear me talking through, as you hear me describe the person we're going to hear from, this person's life, who they were, what are your thoughts? If I were to say to you that the person that we're going to hear from today had been someone who absolutely hated Christians, hated them, what would you think? That this person was so convinced that following Jesus Christ was a blight on planet earth that he would approve murder and terrorist acts against Christians, men and women, what would you think? What would your honest response here and now be? Surprise, I'm gonna hear from that guy? Maybe some fear? some uncertainty, some confusion, maybe some judgment. And I think those are valid responses. But my prayer is this morning is that we would see that we're going to get some great encouragement from God through the personal experience of this person, the Apostle Paul. So I want to read, but before I read from our text this morning, just some quick Background. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 17. That's where we're going to hang out today. And this is a letter by Paul written to a young pastor. You guessed it, Timothy. It's a letter to Timothy. And Timothy was leading the church in Ephesus. See, Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to help the church and to lead this church. And see, problems were starting to rise up in the Ephesian church. And so what happened was Paul sends a letter to Timothy on how to deal with those problems. Some of those problems were like false teaching, disorderly worship, qualified leadership, materialism, things like that. 
And so we're going to pick up in verse 12 in chapter 1. And as we do that, you may go, well, hey, this is going to feel maybe a little bit out of place in light of what you know the letter is about right now. But what I think you and I will see is why this is so important for the rest of this letter and for you and me today. So let's read our text this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 17. It should be behind me. God's word says this. I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Timothy right now is facing some really difficult things within his church. And if you look back a few verses, you'll see it. The, the difficult things are false teaching. And what's happening is there's some false teachings happening. And now we're not sure exactly what the false teaching was that's going on, but what we do know is that these were probably from respected leaders in the church. Think about that. We even just read from 2 Timothy today, right? Be careful for itching ears and people who will tell you what you want to hear. And we got to be careful with that here, Grace Hill. We need to be careful with that. We all need to be on guard for that. But what's happening is that's going on. And so I'm sure Timothy is feeling a little stressed out as a young pastor dealing with this kind of an issue. And so Paul wants to encourage Timothy, and he wants to encourage the Ephesian church by reminding them of God's power from his own experience. And so what we're going to see today right away is the power of personal testimony. In verse 12, what we see is that Paul thanks Jesus for entrusting him with the gospel message. He says he's been given the strength to carry out the appointment of service. Now, it's something to note here. Paul isn't thanking God for an appointment of service that's been easy. <laughs> no, this is not an easy appointment. He's not thanking him for ease and smooth sailing. God, thank you for this, sipping on a whatever, enjoying life. No, Paul is writing from a place of great difficulty in his own life. See, Paul's probably faced more difficulty than most of us ever will, especially for his faith and, and specifically for the service that Jesus has called him to. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul writes of this about himself. He says, I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, 
in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Yet what we see from Paul is what? He is thanking God for this service. He is grateful that God has called him to this. (laughs) Is that a little wild? I read that going, I don't know if that would be my take, if that's what I just shared with you about my own experience. Maybe y'all are a little different. But his life and his calling was changed by the power and grace of God. And so Paul says, I'm strengthened by God for this work. And Paul's encouraging the young pastor Timothy in this. He's encouraging you and me in this. Wherever you're at today, I'm sure 95% of us have a job that we go to tomorrow morning, right? And maybe, and maybe you're struggling with that, but can I, I don't know God's will for your life other than this, is that God has you there right now. And so I can encourage you to go, that's, that's where God wants you. That's where God wants me, where I'm at right now. Discontent can be difficult, right? And at worst, it can be a cancer for us, right? But I think Paul's trying to help you and me today. He's certainly trying to help Timothy that, hey, I know that stuff is going to be hard for you, but this is the mission for you where you're at right now. And the encouragement is this, Timothy, Grace Hill, Evan, That God's power is available and sufficient right now. All of it. And that's good news for you and me. That we have the strength to carry out the mission where we're at regardless of circumstances. Look at Paul's and he still presses forward. He thanks God for that. Might that be a challenge for me and you today to thank God for where he has us. Even if you're struggling there. Paul's encouragement to Timothy and the Ephesian church continues. He focuses on on his past, and he's going to share how God has redeemed that. If you look in verse 13, Paul reflects on his former life, and he recounts what he was saved from, what he did before Jesus interrupted his life. Paul says this. He goes, I was openly opposed to Jesus and his followers, and yet what we see is that he was changed by the grace of God. Paul is very upfront with Timothy and the church about his past. He's up front with you and me about his sins. He's up front with the shameful and painful things that he's done. And this is not going to be a pretty list that he rattles off real quick. Paul says this, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, someone who was openly contemptuous, who despised Jesus and those who followed him. (laughs) That's his resume. How many of us want to put up our worst sins for everyone to see? Any, any takers this morning? Listen to how Paul is described in Acts chapter 8. Verse 3, it says this, Paul was ravaging the church. 
Paul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Okay, that looks good on the LinkedIn profile. Acts 9 says this about Paul, formerly Saul. But, Paul, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, at that time they weren't even called Christians yet, it's just the way, following Jesus, that he might bring men and women bound to Jerusalem. Why is Paul sharing this with us? Why is Paul airing his dirty laundry for you and me and for Timothy? He's sharing this because he's communicating to Timothy and you and me and the church that he's experienced, yes, a painful but beautiful self-awareness of his sin. You see that? And even more than that, he's experienced mercy and grace. Here's who he was, and this is what he got. Mercy. And grace. How can, how can that be? <laughs> how, how can that be? How can you receive mercy and grace if this is what you've been doing? Clearly, we see that the mercy and grace wasn't due to anything Paul did. In fact, Paul hated Jesus. So, no, it wasn't because of things he did. It's because, in spite of what he had done, God chose to show mercy and grace. <laughs> Look at what Paul says. But I received mercy. He continues in verse 14 and he says, the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul is amazed at the grace of God. Paul is blown away by the grace of God and Jesus, all that he's gone through since his conversion and he's still amazed. Why? Because he's experienced firsthand the transforming power of God by his grace. He's tasted and seen as the psalmist says, the Lord is good. And he's not naive to pain and suffering in life. He's experienced it. We just read all the stuff he went through. And death is awaiting for him. It's coming for Paul. He will die for his faith. But this experience of grace and love surpasses temporary earthly pain and pleasure. So he presses ahead and he says, Timothy, I want you to see this. Now, I've never been to Niagara Falls. Has anybody been to Niagara Falls? Wow, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Okay. Well, I've seen pictures and videos. So is that kind of the same thing, right? No, not, not, not quite. All right. But what I do know from some friends' videos who recently went, it's loud, it's huge, and there's just massive amounts of water overflowing off the cliffs all the time. Matter of fact, I did some research. 3,160 tons of water flows over Niagara Falls every second. It's a lot of water. And that water falls at 32 feet per second over the falls. So it hits the base of the falls at some points with 280 tons of force. Now check this out. That's at one spot. And so there's this, that's called the American and Bridal Veil Falls. And then at 2,509 tons of force at Horseshoe Falls. Anybody been to Horseshoe Falls? Y'all know where that is? Two of you, okay. 2,509 tons of force hits down at Horseshoe Falls. That's unbelievable. 
That's powerful. That's overwhelming. And it's constant. Do you ever think, when's it going to run out? It just keeps coming over and over again. But see, this is what Paul means by the grace of our Lord overflowed with me for faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's like he is standing at the bottom of Horseshoe Falls and the grace of God is hitting him and soaking him and completely consuming him day after day after day. 3,160 tons of faith and love pounding him over and over again. It's so much force. It's so overwhelming. It's so beautiful that all of his pain and shame gets washed away. The sheer magnitude and force of God's grace and love stuns him. So that's how he can say, look at who I was. Look at what God's done for me. Can you imagine that? That that is Paul's experience. He is overwhelmed by God's grace and mercy. That's his experience. That's why he's writing this. That's why he's giving his personal testimony to you and me today. But did you know this too? That if we're in Christ, that's our experience. That's my experience and yours if you have trusted in Christ. The overwhelming faith and love of Jesus. So Paul then tells Timothy something significant. He says, Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. He's saying, this experience with Jesus, when he saved me, this is an example of what Jesus came to do. He says, look, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Friends, I don't know. There's a lot to know about Jesus. Good, right things to study and to wrestle with. I don't know if there's a more beautiful thing to know about him than that, that Jesus came to earth, put on skin and bone and walked around on this sin-ridden earth that he created, died for you and me so he could save us. That's a beautiful, encouraging, tremendous reality to consider this morning. But Paul says this, this should amaze you, but he says this, look, I received mercy for this reason. Paul's gonna tell us there's a very important reason why God saved me. He said, look, that, that I received mercy because I was the worst of sinners. Paul's not showing false humility here. He genuinely believes this. He's genuinely contrite about his past. And what he says is, so that Jesus might display his perfect patience to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Perfect patience. Other translations say immense patience or total patience. What an incredible statement. Perfect patience. Jesus is perfectly patient in saving sinners. Now I want to just hang out here for a little bit because I think we should walk back through the implications of what we've walked through together. So we've considered some significant claims from someone that though they were enemies of God at one point, that God saved them, showed them grace and mercy, and that God did this to show them that he was completely loving and completely patient with sinners, with outsiders. And we've also considered the source of those claims as well, that these claims come from someone with firsthand experience and knowledge of Jesus. 
And so up to this point, what we've seen is Paul's encouraging Timothy in the midst of difficult situations in his church. And so as he's done that, he peels off for a bit to share his own personal testimony with Timothy and you and me and uses his own story of salvation to encourage you and me this morning to be steadfast, to be steadfast. And see, I think what we can do this morning is see three ways that Paul's personal story can encourage you and me today. The first is this. Paul's conversion relates to his own experience of his own experience of God's grace as an outsider. We see just how massive and powerful the grace of God is in its scope. I don't think we can overstate that. I know I'm supposed to preach this morning, so maybe I'm supposed to say really big things about God. Maybe you can say that too. Maybe it feels a little tired. I don't believe we can overstate the immense the immensity and the powerful grace of God. I don't think you can say that or talk about that enough. And I think Paul knows that. And that's why he's reminding Timothy, remember my story. Paul says, I'm exhibit A of God's grace to an outsider. Look in my life. Consider that as you're looking at the difficulties in your mission, in your context. Other places in scripture, we see Paul say something similar to imitate him as he imitates Christ. But here we see a different twist. We see here, Paul wants people not to look at him per se, but to look at him that they might see just how amazing Jesus is. Paul wants Timothy and you and me to see that Jesus is really, he really is beautiful. There's nothing inherently beautiful about Paul's life except that God saw fit out of love and mercy to use him and to save him. All beauty is God's. All glory is God's. And that's our good. And Paul knows that the source of all good for all of us in this world, including outsiders, is Jesus. So that's why he recounts his testimony. From an enemy to an apostle. From an enemy to a preacher from an enemy to a church planter, from an enemy to a disciple of the man he so desperately hated at one point. The second way we see that Paul's story of conversion is an encouragement to us is that we see this, that no one is too far gone. Do you believe that? No one is too far gone. Even enemies of Jesus This means we're supposed to take serious our call to be on mission, to share the love of Christ with outsiders. I think this is also helpful for me. If I'm honest, we're a struggle. I'm going to be ashamed. I'm going to be fearful. Anybody else feel like that sometimes? Am I alone? I'm on an island? Okay. This is Paul encouraging you and me to be bold, to be unashamed, to be fearless in our pursuit of sharing the gospel with those on the outside. Is there someone this morning that you right now on the top of your head, you're immediately thinking, there is Evan, no, not that guy, not that guy. You don't know that guy. You don't know that gal. Did it come into your head? Do you have someone like that? See, I've got that person in my head. In my entire Christian life, I feel like I've gone back and forth of just 
lack of faith that God will save my friend. Year after year after year after year. There have been seasons where I've been faithful and praying and I've shared the gospel. And then there have been seasons I've been petrified to share the gospel. And there's been seasons where I just go, I do not believe. And I've had to confess that before God. going, I don't believe you will save my friend. Though I, I want him to. But deep down, the way I live my life around my friend, I kind of skirt the issue, just try to keep things cool on the surface. Just hang out, let's be cool. And recently, the Lord has been bringing this friend to my heart and mind over and over. And recently, I did get to have a brief conversation with this person. And I did, by God's grace, not because there's anything good. I'm just sharing how much I don't believe in this. But I had a bold conversation with him again. I don't know what God's going to do with that. I didn't see anything change in his life. But what I'm realizing with this text is helping me in my own life as I'm standing before you reading God's word in Paul's life and what he's charging us to do is going, God, my confidence isn't in Evan. It's not. I default there. My confidence is in Jesus Christ and his power to save. And that my confidence is in God's timing. I don't have time to do this, but I wish we could spend more time. Maybe Alan or Nick or any of the other leaders could do this. But I mean, can, can, I, I can't do I want just a brief. Can you imagine Ananias, Ananias when, when Saul becomes a follower of Jesus and Jesus goes, hey, Ananias, get up. Go to that, go to that place and lay your hands on this guy. And when he finds out who this guy is, like, that hurts my head sometimes. I'm trying to figure out, like, what would that look like for you and me today? The, the only thing, and it's a, it's a bit hyperbolic, but, right, if Osama bin Laden was still alive and you got the Holy Spirit going, go in the other room, you're going to see Osama bin Laden, and you're going to put your hand on him, and you're going to pray for him. Would that, that hurts my head, honestly. That hurts my head to figure out. Is that, is that real? I, I think that's a fairly close parallel here. And, and I think the disciples, when they saw that, there was shock and dismay, right? Ananias going, I don't, God, I, no, I don't think you got, you got the wrong guy for this. But I think what happened with that is that changed Ananias' perspective on ministry. I bet that changed the perspective of the disciples who go, that guy? Received the grace and mercy of Jesus? Holy smokes. This is legit. That is unexplainable. That is supernatural. And so I think Paul, I think God wants us to take heart today. If you struggle like me, believing that God can save the outsiders among us, let us look to what Jesus has done for us. And there might we find our strength as well. See, God's grace, Paul's so blown away by God's grace that it isn't just something that he takes in and marvels at. He certainly marvels at it, but it's also a real understanding, a real experience of immense power and the reach of the gospel to save the outsider, that those who are in human terms unable to be saved, too far gone, too messed up, too broken, too you name it. And this is the experience that compels Paul to live his life in holy surrender to the mission of God to the outsider. And the last way that we see that Paul's conversion story is an encouragement is that we see 
that he uses it to encourage Timothy and you and me in the midst of turmoil and discouragement. He encourages Timothy to press onward in his mission to lead and shepherd the church, to be on mission to the outsider. Paul knows that recounting his experience of salvation will serve to bolster and fan into flame the hope For Timothy and the Ephesian church, Paul wants Timothy to know that even those who have been falsely teaching and causing harm and confusion within his own church, that those people aren't too far out of reach for God's mercy and grace either. That's a stunning thought. I would be angry if someone in here came and started teaching and leading you astray. I would want, I don't know if I'd want grace and mercy. I think I'd want them out, yet... Paul is saying, look, there's hope for them. If you preach the gospel of Christ, that's the power. Paul's encouraging you and me today that nothing is too hard. Nothing's too messy for God. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? How might, might, Grace Hill, how, how might this reality change your outlook? at work tomorrow. You wake up tomorrow, you go to your job. How might this change how you view your job, the people you work with? How might this affect your reality and my reality of how we handle our neighbors, the people we live next to? Do we know their names? Is there a, is there a love for them that God is welling up inside of you? And here's the other question. If it's a messy situation you're in at work or with your relationships, how might this encourage that right now? Paul's encouraging you and me to trust God's saving work by living out the gospel. He's calling us to communicate the truth of the gospel to those that we are around, even in messy situations. And Paul is saying, look, my life is evidence that God's saving power can work at any time, anywhere, and at any moment. And Paul is encouraging you and me and Timothy to trust that. I think he's saying, test that. Try me. I want to close with our time this morning by just observing the last verse that we looked at this morning. Everything that Paul recounts from his own story and how God saved him is grounded in absolute love and thankfulness to God. Listen to Paul break out and praise to God. He's just, he's just recounted his story, and what does he do? Verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, Invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. I want to pose a question. Do you marvel at the saving work of God in your life? Do you and I see how far away that we once were from God? how undeserving of being shown mercy and grace and forgiveness that we are, man, it's really easy to put Paul up there and go, whew, I don't think I was that bad. Jesus comes and says, if you have hate in your heart, you've committed what? I'm just like Paul. But I've been shown mercy and grace, undeservedly so. 
Paul is encouraging you and me and his young pastor friend to marvel at the goodness of God, to sit under the torrents of grace and mercy that overflows and to recognize how undeserving that we are and that from this, through that spot, that we are drawn into praise for God for who he is, that our hearts will be softened for those on the outside. And as our hearts are softened, they're also emboldened and strengthened to persevere in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hard people that we are around. Grace Hill, my prayer for you and me this week as we share the good news that Jesus came to save sinners is that we would be, Paul writes this at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, that we would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord the mission to the outsider, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that you show us things that we cannot do. It's impossible for us to do, to love enemies, to love people that are difficult, Lord, it's impossible for us at times to, to work through difficult situations, Lord, to suffer injustices, to suffer pain and, Lord, suffering, God. But, Father, we are reminded this morning from your word that, God, you give the strength. God, that you, Lord, provide mercy and grace to the sinner. And, Lord, we are all sinners in need of mercy and grace. Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning who does not know you, has not put their faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, God, I pray that as they have heard from your word and heard an account from a, a man who was too far gone, God, that they might realize today they are not too far your mercy and your grace is available now. God, might you bring a dead soul to life this morning by believing in your life, death, and resurrection. And God, I pray that we would be steadfast and immovable on your mission to us to love the outsider. God, help us, strengthen us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.